Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. your Bibles, you can turn to Mark, the book of Mark. We'll be in Mark all message, uh, so make it easy for you. You don't have to go uh, different places, but turn to chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, uh, and I want to talk to you, the, the title today is Faith in the Healer, and not just any healer, Jesus our healer, and I want to make us you know, aware of a couple of things, but also just declaring in the beginning, it's his presence, him being present that heals, that brings healing. We see in the scriptures where it talks about how the presence of the Lord can be present to heal. And I also want to explore the topic of faith, specifically faith for healing. And one of the things that, um, you know, was a revelation for me even in the past week as I was preparing for today is just that faith, you know, faith is substance of what is not seen. Faith is calling that which is in the unseen realm into our today. Faith allows us to see what we couldn't see before without him. Um, But when I'm thinking faith for healing, the one thing that popped into me or popped out to me was that faith is us connecting or it's contact with him. Faith is the point in which we can make contact with the Lord and the Lord makes contact with us. He meets us at wherever our faith is. He'll meet you at wherever your faith is. He's just asked that you would believe. And as we dive deeper into the subject today, we're going to focus on a couple things. One of the things is I want to look at Jesus' response to different types of faith. I want to, to see how his responses actually reveal the heart of the Father concerning healing uh, and the will of the Father concerning healing. And that he not only is concerned with your physical healing, but he's also concerned with your heart and with your mind as he's ministering healing to your physical body. That he wants to heal you body, soul, mind, spirit. He's not just coming to make you feel better. Uh, He's coming to make you completely whole, okay? Um, Yeah, so we're gonna look at four different types of faith, at least today, not that there's, only these four, but four I want to highlight from the book of Mark. And I want us to take notice of the increasing nature of those faiths. And I want to understand the significance of being in the presence of Jesus when seeking healing from God. You see, the gifts of God are great. We all love the gifts of the Lord. We, we, the Bible tells us to seek the best gifts. And they're absolutely amazing, but they there's something greater than his gifts given to us, and that's, that's him, that's his glory. And recognizing that all these things, that we're talking about healing, all these gifts, they come from him. He is the source. He's the source of healing. He's the source of breakthrough. He's the source of, of revival or renewal. He's the source of everything that we need. And there's just something about the proximity to his presence that brings and pulls on the anointing and the glory of God. And there's something so important about the place of his presence, positioning ourselves to be in the place where he is. And I don't want to just simply talk about the doctrine of healing today. 
which we could do that. We could talk about the doctrine of healing. We can go through it. But I also want to talk to you about the healer, Jesus, the healer himself. Um, You know, it's one thing to believe in the doctrine of healing, and there's nothing wrong with that unless you sever the doctrine from the vine. If you sever the doctrine from the vine of the person Jesus, if you, you know, healing, the doctrine of healing, it's a branch that comes from the vine, which is the person of Jesus. And any time that you separate or you sever that, that doctrine, that branch from the vine, uh, what happens is you can turn that into an idol in and of itself. And an example I would give you in modern church history, you know, where there was a, a group of, of believers where God was revealing himself, right, who's giving revelation, and part of that revelation was having faith in God. But then the generation after would take that revelation that was a holy revelation of we can have faith in God to having faith in faith. You guys are awake today? You with me? Okay. Still a little noise. It's a little help. So now that you're hearing me. But they turned it to doing faith in faith. And any time you take a doctrine, right, and you sever it, you separate it from him, and you're pursuing just the thing, right? If we're pursuing just healing, then we're just looking for his hand and not his face. And when we begin to, to separate ourselves from him being the center, his presence being the center, we actually make our life's pursuit that we would get healed. Or we make our life's pursuit that we would see miracles. Or our life's pursuit becomes the, the branch instead of the vine. And I, and I think there's a fear of the Lord in that. I think that's what pro- can produce when the scripture talks about you know, I did this in your name, I did that in your name, and he says, depart from, for I have not known you. When we turn some of these subjects or the subject matter into our pursuit, it becomes an idol, and we begin to worship worship or worship faith or worship healing or worship revival or worship prosperity. Whatever These things come from God, but that's, that's the, uh, the point that I'm trying to make is we need him to be the center of it. That if we went the rest of our life and we never saw another miracle, we never saw another healing, we, we never, never saw another breakthrough or provision, that he would be enough for this life. That him being the reward, him being the prize of this life would satisfy. But he's the good father. As we pursue his face, he's going to stretch out his hand. But we need to make sure that our pursuit is him. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, It's human nature that outside of the presence of God to forget that he is a person and then build a movement around our doctrine instead of around the man. And we want to make sure that we're building a movement, we're building our lives, we're building our house around him and not just a belief system, but belief in him. Uh, he, He becomes the supreme. So I'm not going to convince you about the doctrine of healing today. I would love to see our hearts come alive to the nearness of Jesus, our healer, who is here in the room today. And that Jesus does not simply heal, but he is healing. And that's the difference between him and us. You know, we're not healing, neither do we heal. None of us could heal without the power of the Holy Spirit. We couldn't make a headache go away without the Holy Spirit. We couldn't help a stubbed toe without the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Without him, without his power... None of those things could take place in our lives or through us. Um, but 
I want to take us through some of these scriptures, and I want us to begin to open up our eyes, not just to the healing, not just to the miracle, but to the healer himself. I want us to see how his compassion, how his responses to the questions, the way that he responded to the authenticity. These people that we're going to read about, they weren't sugarcoating anything. They just, they came as they were to the Lord. And I want us to see the way he responds and reveals himself to them and gives them more than just their healing. And I want us to understand too, when we begin to take the scripture and read these things, I want us to put ourselves in the the stories of the men or the women that we're reading about. I know for me personally, I've been a recipient of, of healing, of physical healing. I have seen people get healed. I've participated in healing. You know, I remember being I maybe 20, 21 years old, and I was having, um, like, a weird chest pain. And I was getting a little nervous because I'm like, I don't know what this was, and it was like a piercing pain. And I, 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 was, I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want to make anyone nervous. I remember going to the doctor, too, and he's like, oh, we're going to have to put you and do EKG. And I'm like, this is exactly what I don't want to do. Like, I don't want to get into this whole fear thing, you know, but I had this thing. I didn't know what it was, right? And I remember being in a church service, and this guy named Sean Smith was speaking, and he begins to give words of knowledge for healing. And one of the things he, he says is there's, there's a young man here. You've had chest pain. In fact, you haven't told anyone about it. Uh, and I'm, obviously, I know, oh, he's talking about me. And... So, you know, I stand up and he begins to pray for me and that the pain just leaves my body immediately. Not just for that moment, but it never came back. Um, and so I've been a recipient of healing. I've, I've seen people get healed from, from your seat and from, from ministry up here or just ministry in the room. I've seen people get healed just in the worship. I've seen people get healed in the preaching. I've seen people get healed through the laying on of hands. I mean, we have witnessed that what we're reading about in the scripture is true because we've got to experience it in our everyday life. And if you have not experienced that, oh, I'm really happy that you're here today because you're going to get to experience and to see that the one who you serve is so active and living. He's in the room today and he is present to heal. Okay? And I believe that he's going to heal bodies in this room today. Uh, Catherine Kuhlman used to say this. She says, miracles happen when Jesus becomes more real to us than our need. Miracles happen when Jesus becomes more real to us than our need. And it's not that we're devaluing the need. We're not discarding the need. It's just this reality that something happens when we are more aware of him than our greatest need, and that is when those needs begin to get met. When we can press past the navel-gazing, just looking at our situation and we can find him in the situation when we can see him he will meet us where we are and that is the place where miracles become possible there's something about that the bible says in proverbs 23 verse 7 that as a man thinks in his heart so he is and in psalm 34 verse 5 it says that they looked unto him beholding his radiance and their face was radiant There's something about beholding Jesus, just looking at him and casting your gaze upon him that causes us to experience him. You know, we've talked, and I've talked a lot about experiencing the Lord. One of the doorways into that is just looking at him. 
if you can look at him, look at him in the scripture, look at him in worship, look at him in, in your mind's eye, in your heart, just look towards him. We see from the, from the psalmist in chapter 34 that as he looked at him, his face became radiant. There was something about him that came onto, something about the Lord that came onto the psalmist, not because the psalmist even asked, he just looked. And because he looked and he beheld his Lord, there was, a, there was a glory that came over him. So we're gonna go through a few scriptures and I believe he's gonna touch many in Jesus' name. And as I'm speaking today, I want to give you permission to encounter him as I'm speaking. You do not have to wait to receive healing at the end or when we do the altar call. As I'm speaking, some of you are gonna be healed. Some of you in the room have already been healed and you don't even realize it and it was happening during the worship. He, has, he is here and he is moving and you don't need my permission to encounter him today. So I just say go for it. Can we do that together? Yeah. And if we can do this, we'll realize that, that healing is more simple than we would ever realize. It is. It's, healing is, is more simple than we, we could ever believe. And sometimes it's so simple that it can actually be hidden from people. Sometimes the, the hardest part to entering into healing is the intellect of our mind. That we're thinking, 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 and the Lord's trying to get us on the 18-inch journey out of our mind and into our heart. We want to embrace the simplicity of the heart of Jesus to heal the sick. And I, am I saying, you know, every time we pray for people that they get healed? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not going to come up here and say every single person we pray for gets healed. That was true of Jesus. But I don't know another man that was true of their ministry, another woman true of their ministry. However, I, want, I do want it to be that way. I do have a desire that everyone who comes would get healed. And honestly, I don't know if I could have a heart filled with compassion and not want it to be that everyone who comes gets healed. This, you know, I, I don't know about you, I, like I want to, I want to see, I want to walk my daughter down the aisle one day. You know, I want to see my grandkids. I want, and I know this is the same for you. I, when someone comes with pain, with struggle, it's the compassion out of our heart that says, I want healing for them. Now, we don't know if it's always going to happen, but our desire that's moved by compassion desires that they would receive healing from the healer. And that's the position. If I'm going to see breakthrough in healing in my life, if we're going to see breakthrough in healing in our ministry, we have to approach it with a mindset that it is his compassion and his will and his desire that all would be healed. Now, do all get healed? No, but it is his desire that they would. Does that make sense? And we don't have all the answers. I can't tell you why, but I do know, and Randy Clark puts it like this, there is thrills of victory where we see the Lord break in and break through, but then there is also the agonies of defeat where the ones who we prayed for for years, uh, they don't get healed. And we don't quite understand it, but we choose to trust that he is faithful and that he will be true. Amen? All right, so if you're in Mark, you should be in chapter 9, verse 17. If you're not there, turn there with me. And here we're going we're gonna to find the father with the demonized son. Now this father, he, he is plagued with doubt and with unbelief. He's questioning and asking these questions of God and of Jesus. Can God truly heal? And I think this is an authentic question that is the fruit of the walk of his life. He, he has weak faith in this moment. So there, and what I mean by that is he's not in complete unbelief. He has faith enough to come to the Lord. 
he has faith enough to come and try this out again. Um, and we, have to all, we also see that he's being confronted with the seriousness and the prolonged nature of the illness of his son, of the demonization of his son. And he's even confronted with the, the fact that the disciples have had the inability to bring about healing. So this is the scene that we're coming into. This is a very traumatized, broken man bringing a traumatized, broken son to, to the Lord and to his disciples. And despite his wavering faith, he persists and he recognizes something in Jesus that we'll see is, is his compassion. So verse 17, let's read together. says that, then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought, they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit conv convulsed in him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now pause for a moment here. This is a desperate cry from this father. This, and I want us to try to put ourselves, like I said, in his shoes. We're talking about years of torment, years of loss of his son. His son hasn't died, but he hasn't had his son. His son is still with him, but, but he's not his son. His son is being tormented. He's being thrown into fire. Thrown. Basically, he is at the point where all the father can do is try to keep his son alive. He's at the point where he's not even looking. He's not looking for restoration. He's not looking for healing. So he, just, he just wants his son to be alive. And this is the place. This is the agony that the father is coming. Uh, never mind getting him to the right state of mind. After years of torment, probably exhaustion, hopelessness, depression, anger, pain. I can only imagine the trauma of the boy and the trauma of the father. And then he begins to hear stories of a healer, a man from Nazareth who's coming to his town. And so with whatever effort he has, strength he has left in him, planning that he has left, he comes and he ends up being meet, met by the man's disciples who could do nothing. And in that moment of pain where he had just scraped up any last bit of hope that he had for his son, he's met with an impossibility. They could do nothing. As he opened up his heart again, only to fall short. And he turns to Jesus. This is, we're in this emotion right now. And, he, and he's finally brought before Jesus and he says this. Verse, the other half of verse 22, it says, but... If you can do anything, have compassion, have pity on us, and help us. If you can do anything. He is at the end of the line. He's at the end of his rope. He doesn't even uh, believe at this point. He's just saying, if you can do anything. I'm not even asking you to heal him. Just do something because what I'm in right now, anything else would be better than this. Just do anything. And I don't know if you can, but if you can, do anything. Just do something to make this just a little bit different. 
I'll take anything else, Jesus, because anything would be better than this right now. And he sees the compassion in the eyes of Jesus, and he says, have pity on me. Help me. Have pity on my son. Help him. And Jesus responds to him in verse 23. He says to him, if you can. What is he doing here? In the original language, it says here, if you can believe. But that word believe is, is there for our context. It actually just says, if you can. He's, he's just repeating back to him the, the question that he had just asked Jesus. And he says, oh, if you can. Is that what you're asking? If you can. Well, know this. All things are possible to him who believes. In that moment, Jesus does not rebuke the weak faith of this man. He's actually encouraging him and assuring him that everything is possible to those who believe. This is the response. In fact, Jesus repeats, like I said, back to him. He's repeating the original question, if you can. And he's answering it with everything is possible. He, he didn't just come and meet him with the healing. He wanted to answer the question and the wrestle of this man's heart. He says, let me address your heart right now. Let me address your mind. Let me address the doubt and unbelief first. You're asking, if you can, I'm telling you, anything is possible. Why did he say anything is possible? Because he said, God, if you can do anything. He's saying, what you're asking, I have what you are requesting. Now this father, remember, broken depressed i mean the the intensity of the moment it says as jesus was talking this cry comes out from the father it says immediately the father of the child cried out and with tears i mean he's breaking down in this moment you have to understand he is broken and he's crying out to jesus he says lord i believe help my unbelief for him i think it was just a statement of faith because he didn't believe. He was saying it out loud. I believe. I want to be obedient. You're saying anything is possible if I believe. So I'm taking what you just said, Lord, because I don't have it in me. And I'm going to repeat back to you, I believe. I want the anything is possible. So I will take what you said is the requirement belief. I believe, but help me, Lord. Help this unbelief. Help my weak faith. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Today, Jesus is still responding in the same manner to those who question can you heal? He's declaring over us, everything is possible to those who believe. And maybe you're like the father today of this boy. Maybe you are in need of a touch from the healer. Maybe you are at the end of yourself. And maybe you've come to the point where you're just questioning, well, can God even heal today? And if he could do anything, I just need him to do anything because anything would be better than where I'm at right now if that is you he is declaring his promise over you that anything and everything is possible to those who believe and he's speaking not just to your physical situation but he's speaking to your mind and he's speaking to your heart and he's saying trust me 
believe. It's the second type of faith I want us to look at in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Uh, we're encountering the story of, of the man with leprosy, the leper. In verse 40, we pick up, he says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now the leper, he has some faith here. He has a little faith here. He's actually coming not with the question if God could heal, but rather if it was God's will to heal him or if it is his will to heal at all. And it's important to note, I think for us, that he, he wouldn't have had it, but for us we have the rest of the book of Mark, right? We have the Great Commission, and I just want to read Mark 16, uh, 14 to 18. It says, Later he approached to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in, with new tongues, they will take up serpent, serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will re recover. And we're seeing both in Mark 1 and here in Mark 16 a revelation, a revealing of the will and of the heart of the Father that to those who believe, to those who believe, demons will be cast out and sickness will be healed. He told us this would happen. And when the leper expressed no doubt regarding God's ability, he's saying, you can make me clean. He's looking at Jesus, I know you can do it. I know you have the ability, and I know you have the power, and I know you have the anointing to heal, but there is a question. There is a wrestle that still comes out of the heart of the leper that says, but are you willing? What brought him? I, th I think there was a desperation that brought him to ask that question to the Lord. He probably had heard of the compassion and the miracles and the stories of this man, Jesus. And I want to point out in, in, in verse 41, this word compassion, it's actually, it's an intense emotion. In fact, some of the Greek manuscripts, a, a couple of them would have made it read, Jesus was moved with anger at, at the leprosy, not at the man. And in fact, if you're reading NIV, your version would probably say Jesus was indignant. He was angry. However, however all, over and over in the Aramaic, we see that this is translated, he's moved with compassion. But I, I just would like to propose that maybe both, in a way, are correct. That in this moment, Jesus was deeply moved with compassion towards the man. And at the same time, he's deeply moved with an indignation and an anger to the disease. And we're, we're seeing a revelation of a wrestle in the heart of God that says, this is what I came here to do. I came to destroy the works of the evil one. And man, what is on you is not of me. And his anger comes towards the disease and his compassion comes towards the man. But why did the leper come? He knew that Jesus was able to heal, but why did he doubt What's the question? I believe he's saying, well, maybe healing is for everyone except me. I'm unclean. I'm cast out. I'm a nobody. 
People can't touch me. People can't come near me. The benefits of society, they are no longer for me. I know he can heal me, but I'm not sure if he will. And I'm not sure if he would want to. Not me. Maybe them. But not me. This is the condition of his heart. And it comes yet still with the little faith that he has with a desperation because his need is so great. And I believe maybe he's wondering, maybe this is my last chance at redemption for this life. And he sees the compassion in the eyes of this man as he heard the testimonies. He's drawn in by the healer who does not meet his little faith with a rebuke, but he reaffirms him. And he responds once again and addresses the primary question. He says, I'm willing. He responds to the man's little faith and he says, I am willing. And even today when we ask the same question, Jesus responds with the same unwavering answer, I'm willing. And maybe you're struggling with something with a sickness, disease, with a pain, with whatever it is, and it's been a long time. And you've seen this person get healed, that person get healed. You know God is able to do it, but something is whispering on the inside of you that says, it's for them though, it's not for you. And the Lord would meet you today, and he would speak to your heart, and he would speak to your mind, and he would say, my son, my daughter, even to you, I'm willing. I'm willing. Third type of faith that we're going to encounter today, I think, is great faith. We find it in the story of the woman with the issue of blood. If you want to turn to Mark 5 with me. We find the woman here with an issue of blood of of 12 years. Consider her condition. She also is an outcast. And due to religious uh, religious tradition, she has been uh, cast out from society. She's been suffering, as I said, for 12 years. She has sought out many doctors. She spent much of her money, expenses towards doctor after doctor. And the scripture, we're going to read it. It not only did all this money and all these visits not make her better, uh, not only did it not just sustain her where she was at, it actually says that she is worse off now than when she started. This 12-month journey, the condition is only getting worse, but there is something inside of her as she's hearing the stories of this man, Jesus, that gives birth to a faith in her heart and in her mind that says, if I can only touch his garment, if I can, then he can. And she has this faith. Let's read together. Verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, He fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him. A great multitude followed him and thronged him. That just means they were crowding him, pressing up against him, surrounding him, reaching out to him, touching him. And now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had And was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd. And she touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, 
the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, pushing against you, pressing against you, touching you. And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So she is approaching Jesus. She has a knowledge of his identity and his miraculous works. But she had to disregard the religious tradition that had kept her isolated, cast out, that required her to stay away and out of public, especially holy people. And she's risking it all in this moment to approach Jesus. I believe it's persistence, determination of the faith in her heart. Perhaps even she's walking in a gift of faith in that moment. That's leading her to approach him. And all the more we need to remember why was Jesus on this road in the first place. Jesus is only walking by her because he was uh, approached and begged by Jairus to go and heal his daughter. Who's Jairus? He's a wealthy man. He's a holy man. He's a leader. He's a dignitary. He's one of the heads of the synagogue. This woman who is, at this point, she is poor, she is wretched, she is weak, she is cast out, she is broken. She has to decide to come into the crowd of wealthy people. This man was wealthy enough that he had servants that could come and report on his daughter. Like, you have to think, she, she is not just around people in public, she's around the very people who would stone her. The very people who would say, how dare you come near to us and cause us to be unclean according to the Mosaic law. This is the scene that we're, we're seeing. And I, and I want you to, to, to make note of this. She is 12 years with the issue of blood. And Jairus wants his daughter to be healed who is 12 years old. There's an important connection because the, the, he's trying to catch or get us to connect these two stories. Jairus wants his daughter of 12 years to be healed. He has great faith. He's saying, if you just come and you touch her, if, if you can do this, this will happen. And this woman, this broken, poor, wretched woman who probably hasn't been able to be near her husband. Maybe she had kids. We don't know. She can't be near her family. She has to have been separated for 12 years. This is the scene that we're in. And I want to read a, a, a portion of a commentary from Alexander McLaren about this passage. He's talking about the woman. He says, the woman is a poor, shrinking creature, broken down by long illness made more timid still by many disappointed hopes of cure, depressed by poverty to which her many doctors had brought her in. She does not venture to stop this new rabbi physician. As he goes with the rich church dignitary to heal his daughter, but lets him pass before her, before she, makes, she can make up her mind to go near him at all. And then comes creeping up in the crowd behind him, puts out her wasted, trembling hand to his garment's hem and she is made whole she would have she would fain have stolen away or run away with her newfound blessing but christ forces her to stand out before the crowd and there 
with all their eyes upon her, cold, cruel eyes, some of them, to conquer her diffidence and her shame and tell all the truth. Strange kindness, that is, strangely contrasted with his ordinary care to avoid notoriety and with his ordinary tender regard for shrinking weakness. What may have been the reason, certainly it was not for his own sake at all, not for the others chiefly, but for her, that he did this. The reason lay in the incompleteness of her faith. It was very incomplete, although it was faith. Christ answered it. And then he sought to make the cure and the discipline that followed it, the means of clearing and confirming her trust in him. This woman thinks that she's just battling with an issue of blood. But what she doesn't realize is she's also battling with shame, with condemnation. And she wants her healing, but she doesn't want to be seen. She comes up from behind him so that she can leave away. She wanted to sneak in and sneak out. She just was coming in for the healing. She didn't want to make the commotion. She didn't want to be seen. You have to catch this in the moment. In fact, she only stops because he stopped. And she only says something because of the fear that comes over her to say something. And I think that fear is because she thinks she's going to be shamed. She thinks she might be condemned in this moment. But God had other plans. He did not want her to just leave with a healing. He did not want her to just leave with her body dried up and made whole. He wanted her to be healed body, soul, mind, and spirit. He wanted to restore her position in society. He wanted to restore her in front of the dignitaries and the crowds. And he wanted to reveal to the crowd and to her what was meant for after the cross, the reversing or the fulfillment of the Mosaic law, we would see a partial fulfillment right here. Why? Because if he touched the unclean woman, he would be unclean. But when he touches the unclean woman, she's made clean. He's confronting the culture of the day that says, cast out the unclean. And he's trying to teach them, don't cast them out, bring them to me. This is what's happening in this moment. He didn't want her to walk away with healing alone. He wanted her to walk away with the healer in her heart. He didn't want her to just encounter his hand. He wanted her to encounter his face and his heart. So that she would go not just with the restoration of her body, but she would go with the healer himself. The result of her if I can faith was immediate healing and accompanied by a physical sensation of healing in her body. It didn't just dry up the blood. The blood didn't just stop flowing. But also she felt in her body, everything is made new. And it says that Jesus himself felt power come from him. There is a felt reality in the presence of the Lord. There is a felt encounter in the presence of the Lord where there is an exchange where when we touch him and he touches us, What is in him can come into us. What is a part of him is then given to us. And he's acknowledging her faith. And he's saying to her, woman, your faith has healed you. Your belief in me has led you to the thing that you were seeking. And again, I want us to see the the compassion of Jesus at work here as well. Remember, again, he's on his way to who? Jairus' daughter. The 12-year-old girl, the woman with 12 years of illness, 
And when he responds to her, he doesn't say, woman. He responds to her and he says, daughter. And what he does in that moment is he turns Mark 5 into the tale of two daughters. He turns Mark 5 into the story of a man of great faith who's desiring to see, to see his daughter healed, who would get healed. But he takes a moment on his journey to pause, to not just pursue this man's daughter, but to heal one of his own daughters. And he calls her daughter on purpose because he's connecting the crowd to this moment. We're not just caring about this man's daughter. I care about my daughter. And he's portraying to the crowd around him, I care about you. Turn to Mark 10, verse 46. Here we have the story of blind Bartimaeus. At this point in his life, he has been reduced to begging, possessing only his cloak. But Bartimaeus' faith was declaring, I, I can, but he can. And we pick up in verse 46 the story of Jesus. It says, now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garments, he rose and came to Jesus. And so Jesus answered him and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to Jesus, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. This man, Bartimaeus' shout revealed his faith and his belief in Jesus. Not just Jesus the healer, but Jesus is the Messiah. He called him the son of David. He was recognizing, oh, this is the one who we have been waiting for, and he is before me. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David. His shout and his request were specific. He said, have mercy on me. Give me what I don't deserve. Have mercy on me. And despite being rebuked and silenced by the others, Bartimaeus persists. When he's told to be quiet, to, no, don't do that, don't, don't pursue it, don't, don't call out, he shouts all the more loudly. Says, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, don't pass me by. And he discards his cloak, his only thing left in his life that he could hold on to that was his was his cloak he discards it what as a symbol that he is willing to let go of even that of everything to follow Jesus and he approaches Jesus's presence because he's heard the testimonies of what he was doing and then the believers the followers of Jesus they're the ones around him that are rebuking which at times can still be true today but Jesus responds to the reckless faith of Bartimaeus, this cry in his heart that says, I can't, but he can. He, his first response is to the rebukers. He says, go and get him and bring him to me. 
You who were telling him not to come, you were telling him to be quiet. You go and get him and bring him, tell him I'm calling him. And it begs us to ask ourselves the question, are we still bringing the people who are in need of the healer, are we bringing them to him? Are we leading people to him, to Jesus, to the healer? And Jesus asked Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, I, I want to see. And in that moment, Jesus recognized this man's spiritual eyes are already open. Though he could see nothing of his physical, he sees me for who I am. And he tells him, he says, go now, your faith has healed you. But you know what? The man doesn't go. He follows Jesus. And immediately he receives his sight and he follows him. I have the worship team come on up. You know, when I was gathering these stories and I was writing this sermon, I had the initial intention to write a sermon uh, specifically about the theme of faith for healing. But as I was studying them, I realized that all these individuals in these stories, they all received their healing regardless of the type of faith they had. Whether they had little faith, weak faith, some faith, they had great faith, they had reckless faith. At the end of the day, whatever type, they all had some type of faith. But whatever they were on the spectrum, they all had the same outcome. They received their healing. They all encountered Jesus, and what they had in common was not their type or level of faith, but rather their proximity to the presence of the healer. And while faith was essential, it was the act of bringing their needs to Jesus and being in his presence that was paramount, was the most essential. And for me, the message in these passages is that they all had an opportunity to be near him. And what became a study on just simply faith brought a revelation. It's not just about our faith, but it's also about him. It's the faith that needs to be in him. That I'm not just believing for healing or believing for for a breakthrough that's just going to come because I'm seeking it out. But I'm learning, okay, if, if I need healing, then I need to go to the healer. If I need deliverance, then I need to go to the deliverer. If I need help, then I need to go to the helper. And when I begin to even look at the gifts of the Spirit, and we're looking at, you know, a word of wisdom. It's only a word of wisdom because it comes from the man of wisdom. It's only a gift of healing because it comes from the healer. It's only a gift of help because it comes from the helper. And I'm realizing these portions of Jesus' life that he gives to us as gifts and as a revelation, they all come from him because they are him. They are part of who he is. It's more than just what he does. It's who he is. It is the very nature of who he is to heal you today. Because he's the healer. He's the deliverer. stories were about him even more than they were about a father and a demonized son even more than they were about a leper more than they were about a woman of the issue of blood more than all of these the story was about him these passages they point to him 
We can find ourselves in those stories. But just like each one of these men and women in these stories, they all found Him. And when you find yourself in the story, I want you to find yourself in pursuit of Him. Looking for Him. Because guys, the story today is still about Him. And today the healer is in the room. He's in the room today. And we're going to pray for everyone in the room that needs healing. I just want to, I want to do something really quickly before we, we call you guys up. I just want to welcome him. I want to acknowledge his presence in this place. He has been here all day. The compassionate one has been here all day. We recognize your presence in this place, Lord. Holy Spirit, you increase your presence. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.